Future Proof Gold from Newstalk. Deterrence is the art of producing in the mind of the enemy the fear to attack. And so, because of the automated and irrevocable decision making process which rules out human meddling, the doomsday machine is terrifying. It's, it's simple to understand. That's the late, great Peter Sellers in the masterful black and white Doctor Strangelove. Uh, he's sort of outlining in the movie the, the concept of mutually assured destruction. Uh, you know, the idea that I've got a whole bunch of nukes and I'm going to fire mine if you fire yours, so don't fire yours. Uh, it, it's essentially the entire film a satire of the nuclear standoff between the United States and the Soviet Union during the Cold War. It's basically game theory, the mathematics of strategy, and it can explain why we wage war, how to negotiate better wages, and even predict how animals behave in the wild. Kevin Zalman is an associate professor of philosophy at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh and a game theorist himself. He joins me now. Welcome to the program, Kevin. How are you? Oh, thank you, Jonathan. I'm doing well. How about you? Very good. As a game theorist, I imagine you, you, you probably enjoyed Dr. Strangelove. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a wonderful movie, it, precisely because it incorporates a lot of game theory into it uh, in a real, really comical way. Um, so, if you don't mind, maybe start out and just sort of explain what exactly game theory is. It's the mathematics of strategy. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's a, it's a theory about social behavior, which tries to use mathematics in order to try and predict and, and recommend, in a certain respect, how people are going to behave in situations where they have... Uh, e- uh, common interest or conflict of interest. That is, situations where you and I are both trying to do well for ourselves, but we depend on one another in, in order to do well. Yeah, because uh, I was talking about this earlier, and I was saying, you know, um, when we walk down the street, uh, we don't get mugged all the time. And, uh, you know, for some reason, uh, life is actually quite stable in most peaceful um, areas. And, you know, when you think about it, why is that? If I, if I see someone who has an iPhone and they're, they're on it, why don't I just take that? And, and the reason is because there's uh, sort of benefits and costs and benefits. And this is the, the kind of the basis of, of game theory. Exactly. And one of the things that that people have used game theory to try and explain is why do humans in particular end up being so cooperative relative to a lot of other animal species? That is, why are we able to not fight all the time over every little resource? And that's in part because we've recognized and found ways to make it so that individuals' interests, that is, individuals doing the best they can, um, can actually cooperate with one another and help each other out rather than constantly fight. Um, So... Give us a, a, a kind of a basic mathematical theory, because I know this is used a lot in sort of psychology, isn't it? Um, the idea of, uh, you know, trying to figure out people's motivations for making decisions. Can you talk to us about the prisoner's dilemma? Absolutely. The, the prisoner's dilemma is one of the classic sort of paradoxes or problems of game theory. The story goes, you have two people who are, you know, caught by the police for some minor crime, but the police suspect that they've also uh, uh, committed some much more major crime, say murder. And they're taken into separate rooms, and they're each asked, uh, did you commit the crime? And, you know, this is a story of almost every TV crime drama. You know, the police know that they did, but they can't convict them. And so each individual prisoner is offered the following deal. He said, if you confess, we'll let you off for the minor crime. And if you confess and the other guy stays silent, then you get off scot-free because we'll need you to testify against the other one. But if you both confess, you both go to jail for the more major crime. Uh, but if you both stay silent, you only go to jail for the minor crime. So each prisoner is faced with this dilemma. If he confesses and the other one stays silent, then he can get off scot-free or at least get off for the minor crime. But if he stays silent, 
then he runs the risk that the other might might confess on him and he goes to jail for a very long time. So the, there's and, this idea of, of um, what do I do based on my knowledge about what the other person might do? Exactly, exactly. And that's one of the fundamental things about game theory is you oftentimes have to think both about what's in your interest, but also what's in the other person's interest. And what are they going to do? And what do they think you're going to do, etc. So what do most people, um, because I know they've tested this prisoner's dilemma on various groups of people. What do most people do in the situation where uh, they they could either, you know, be greedy, or uh, opt to share and trust the other person? What, What do most people do? Yeah, it's it's actually tricky because it really depends on the situation. So if you characterize it as a situation of cooperation, so you talk to people and you say, ah, here's a you know an experiment on how people cooperate with one another, then they tend to think of this as a kind of social interaction and they end up cooperating. On the other hand, when you tell them that it's an economic exchange, you're playing a business game or something like that, then they tend to, to cheat on one another and can do the equivalent of confessing. And so the social norms are one of the things that really influence the way people People approach this game. If they think about it as a cooperative interaction, they're far more likely to engage and to keep silent, that is, and, and engage in a cooperative behavior. So, uh, well, can game theory teach us much then? Because it sounds like um, the, the results of, of our experiment changed based on mm-hmm. how we frame it. Well, one of the things that it can teach us is, is it can help to teach us exactly the types of situations that will lead people to do things that are more cooperative or things that are less cooperative. So there are all sorts of uh, experiments that have been done with game theory on actual people that have discovered a couple of sort of underlying rules. People are more likely to cooperate when they view it as a, a social, social interaction than an economic one. They're also more likely to cooperate when they're going to see the same person again. Hmm. as opposed to just uh, interacting with them one shot. Yeah, but that, so that, that's com- sort of obvious, isn't it? I mean, if you're going to see the person yeah. you screwed, you're less likely to screw them. Exactly, exactly. And in, and in particular, because you're going to, because you run the risk of retaliation. And this has been put to use. So when the U.S. and the USSR were negotiating the arms reduction treaties, rather than saying, okay, we're going to eliminate all of our weapons all at once, they agreed to this plan where the U.S. would eliminate just a few and then the USSR just a few and go back and forth to take what was, in a certain sense, a one-time interaction and make it a repeated interaction in order to make cooperation more likely. Oh, of course, because if you decide to fully trust um, the Soviet Union, for example, and say, right, we're going to get rid of all of our nuclear weapons, and then they do it, and then uh, Soviet Union go, ha-ha, we had our fingers crossed, you're screwed. Exactly, ha. exactly, yep. Um, so uh, when, what happens when we uh, actually get prisoners to do the prisoner dilemma? <laughs> That's a good question, and I, ac- I actually don't know if they've actually done the experiment in, in prison. I'd be really interested to know, know what the result would be, though. Yeah. Um, th- you recently wrote about uh, the other kind of, um, the, a more recent example of game theory in action, and this is um, uh, Obama's announcement that he wanted to do attacks on Syria based on chemical weapon use. Yeah, that's right. Um, one of the things that, that game theory has been used to study a lot of and uh, has been this idea that, you know, there are social norms that we all sort of obey that are against our individual self-interest, but we obey because we expect other people to obey them. Mm. And this was It's like um, bicy- cyclists on, on the roads um, breaking red lights. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so that's an example of a kind of negative social norm where, um, where uh, it might be detrimental to the cyclists or to traffic at large. But there are also positive social norms. So the one I was talking about there was the social norm in war that we don't use chemical weapons. It's been one of the very 
few social norms in war that has been really uh, kept to over the over the long history that it's that it's been around. And so the 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 article that I was writing was suggesting that the U.S. needed to take very seriously the claim that uh, the uh, Syrian government had been using chemical weapons against its own people, because uh, social norms. Game theory shows that social norms can be very fragile. So you get one or two people starting to violate a social norm, they can completely collapse. And so one of the arguments that I was making is that we needed to really find a way to be sure and enforce the social norm against chemical weapons use, because if we don't, we run the risk that the next dictator will decide, oh, well, there's no consequence to violating this this norm against chemical weapons use. Oh, and I've actually heard someone describe this. This is a different kind of... um version of the game theory where uh, you've got someone, you've got an opponent and you can attack small or you can attack big and try and wipe them yeah. out and mm-hmm. uh, you know if you think they're likely to attack what do you do? Do you uh, you know do you attack them softly just to let them know you're there or do you try and wipe <laughs> them out to assure that they, they can't attack you at all and what's the best scenario and, and we can run this through computers and look at different kind of scenarios and they can give us the best sort of um, out- outcome for us, the best most likely positive outcome but uh, of course that, that doesn't, it won't always necessitate what, necessitate what will happen in, in real life but when we um, take something like game theory and we try and apply it to something that might benefit us, like, for example, negotiating better wages. How, how do you do something like that? Because it's a slightly different scenario. It's not, you're, not, you're not at war with someone. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's a good situation. Game theory also studies situations where both parties have an interest, like if you're negotiating with your boss for a better wage or you're negotiating with your child to try and get them to go to bed. In these situations, one of the things that game theory always encourages is that people think very carefully about finding solutions that are beneficial to both parties. And this is, you know, what are kind of sometimes called cooperative solutions. So you try to find places where each party is willing to, to, to give in a certain respect in exchange for the other party giving as well. And you can oftentimes find them by thinking about what other people care about. So you might find that, you know, your child cares more about um, the opportunity to do something really exciting in the next day than, than, than you do when you care more about the child going to bed. And so you can find these things where you give a little bit on one side that is a big gain for your child, and your child gives a little bit on the other side, which is a big gain for you. Um, game theory has also studied negotiations, and one of the things that they, that they point out is really important uh, for you know, negotiating for a better wage is how patient you are. So they, one of the things that's important is the more patient you are, the more willing you are to allow the negotiation to drag out, sometimes the more beneficial outcome you can get for yourself. And so waiting until the last minute or waiting until it's desperate that you get a raise is actually not the best strategy. Instead, doing it at a time when it's not critical that I figure out what my wage is by tomorrow or the next week can oftentimes improve your situation because by threatening to drag the negotiation out, Hmm. you can improve your situation. I'm trying to figure out how that might work. Um, What do you just kind of fob off your boss when they say you're you're due in for a review? Yeah, well, I, <laughs> you got to be careful about doing that, you know, too much. But, but just just indicating to the boss that, for instance, it's not um, the that it's not absolutely critical that that you finish the negotiation now. So you might start the negotiation and say, well, you know, I'm interested in getting a raise, uh, and then the boss says, well, I'm not sure, and you say, it's no problem. Why don't we come back and talk about it again tomorrow, uh, or talk about it in in a week? And by you know, sort of indicating that it's not important to you that you resolve the negotiation today, you put 
the, your boss in a situation where your boss might want be willing to give you a small raise just to make sure that the negotiation doesn't drag out. Right. Okay. Uh, it's, it, by, by complete fluke, my old boss it happens to be in uh, the, the the box with his two daughters that came. That, that came <laughs> they wanted to listen <laughs> to the program, so that, like, I, I wish I'd used this uh, technique on him. <laughs> I, I would have done a little bit better. Um, so uh, the the other thing about um, game theory is that. Uh, it uh, can tell us a, a little bit about um, human behavior, sorry, animal behavior in the wild, uh, and that we can actually use mathematics to predict animal behavior. Yeah, it, this is a really exciting application of, of game theory that started in the 1970s. And the idea was that it actually turns out there's a remarkable similarity between the way humans behave and the way animals behave, and the sorts of games, so to speak, that humans play and the way that animals play. So game theory has been used to explain, for instance, why it is that animals appear as though they're going to fight all the time, but as it turns out, very rarely actually fight. Um, and this is a really kind of surprising thing. You would think, you know, animals are constantly puffing up and threatening one another, but in the end, they don't fight that often. Mm. And so one of the things game theory has been, has been used is to try and explain this sort of apparent paradox. Why do they pretend but not do it? And the answer seems to be that they need to find ways to communicate to one another honestly about how strong they are. And the only way to do that is to sort of bring themselves to the brink of fighting. But then once they get there, the weaker one obviously doesn't want to actually fight. And so once they get to the brink of fighting, they figured out who is stronger and who's weaker, and the weaker one will oftentimes run away or give up. Hmm. I, I'm, I'm just thinking back to the wage thing, and I'm, I'm trying to. I, I'm often. I'm going to try and try and get something. I like to get a takeaway out of, out of these when there's, when there's oh, an opportunity sure. to do that. And so, uh, like, I, I often when I'm, I've got a new client. I, mm-hmm. you know, they say, you know, what's your fee? And I, I, I'm always trying to figure out how do I get the most out of this person <laughs> without without yeah. being, you know, completely unreasonable. <laughs> because you know yeah. that's the whole point. Because they may be willing to pay a lot more than I don't I know. What's the best? way of, of, of doing like is it best for you to suggest a really high fee or is it for uh, you to say what do you suggest as a fee uh, the best case scenario is if you can start the, if you can get them to suggest because in particular what you'd like to know is what's the most that they're willing to pay that's the critical bit of information for you and similarly they're trying to get out of you what's the least you would be willing to accept well I know that Kevin, so, but so what is yeah. <laughs> well duh yeah, exactly. But but so by by you asking them what uh, what it is they're willing to pay, that will give you at least a sense of the range that they're thinking about. Yeah. And although they're not going to tell you the most that they're willing to pay, that will help to reveal at least some bit of information about the 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 range that they're trying to think about. Yeah. And then the other thing that's really important in these negotiations is to always think about what somebody's alternative option. So if they're asking you. The information that you'd like to know is what, what will happen if they don't hire you, um, because that will give you a sense for um, how bad things will be and how much of an advantage you have in, the negotiating, uh, in, in negotiating. So the more that you can understand what their situation is, uh, that can oftentimes give you a sort of idea of, well, they're certainly not going to go below what their other option is if somebody else is, 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 is they have somebody else for a good fee or something. Uh, I, I'll, I'll give you a cut of my next uh, well-negotiated deal, Kevin. Very good speaking with you. <laughs> uh, Associate Professor of Philosophy at Carnegie Mellon University, uh, Kevin Zalman, thanks very much for your time. 